Uh, hi, I'm Alicia, as you will probably hear me called often by my, my good, good, mysterious friend on the other microphone. Uh, but I also go by Alex Black Online. That's what I write under. That's kind of my creative identity that I do a lot of work with. Um, and so I, I respond to both. Uh, professionally, I work in the mental health field, um, but I also am a semi-professional writer. I work on a local magazine and do writing freelance projects as I please. I've also been a super fangirl since I was like seven years old. Um, I remember my first fan fiction like it was yesterday. I was in my shared apartment bedroom prancing around pretending that I was Hermione Granger and rewriting the story of Harry Potter out loud with my my mouth and body and it was weird. I've been a weird fan since. That, it's hard to follow that up. I know what a great story <laughs> to tell, tell about myself. Um, I'm Allie. Uh, the first fan fiction I ever wrote was on Quotive, which used to be Quizazz, and yeah. it was just an extremely long, uh, Pokemon fan fiction. Not Pokemon the show, <laughs> or even the games. It was Pokemon special. Um, and I had an OC that was the main character, and it was called Pokemon High School, and it was just fantastic because I just had all of these Pokemon characters that wanted to be my friend or romance me, and um, so you and me, friend, we're doing a podcast. Uh, I don't know if we're starting well, but our pro, pro our prod, prof, woof. Who can word? It's me. Broadcast. Uh, yeah, a broadcast. That sounds weird. We're not going to say that again. Um, <laughs> uh, we're calling it um, profanity, uh, even though there's probably not going to be profanity in it, per se. There might be a word here or two. Um, but uh, you, my other microphone companion here, came up with this idea, kind of playing on that, like, fan root word of this uh name because I think, I think the idea was you said professional fangirls and I said yes. lol what about profanity yes and I like that because I because really at the end of the day I think we're both really passionate about fangirl culture when it's healthy yeah and so there's not a lot of healthy fan outlets that I know of um yeah, it's, it's, there's so much, not only, like, it's almost like stigma, like, the way there's stigma about mental health and, like, women's rights. Um, oh, I know. Yeah, let's just dive right into social politics right away at the beginning. <laughs> um, but, like, the way that there's stigma around specific things um, that... You know, I can understand why different topics would be controversial to different people, but, like, being a fan of something, that's, like, that can only be controversial in a this sense is, is really unhealthy because we both want to bring some healthy, intelligent foundation back to that, that fan group. Would you agree? 
with how I described that badly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so I'm going to let you kind of explain the structure of what we're doing because it was kind of your idea, and I think that it would be good for you to get some more voice time in here. <laughs> okay. Um, so every season has a different topic. Um, after this episode, you know, you'll probably be able to figure out pretty easily what this season's topic is. But um, in every season, essentially, we're going to break down whatever the, like, general idea is and just go real into it. And, uh, yeah, that and with each episode, like, not even just, like, going into it, like, delving deeper into it, where, like, each episode's a run-on of each other, um, we both agreed that each episode should have a specific topic. Um, and so we'll have that, like, umbrella topic for a season, but then we're also, like, going to have a specific, um, I call them watermelon seed ideas from my teaching days. Um and so uh, we're going to have a smaller idea so that each episode is self-contained and can be listened to independently. Um, but they all kind of build on each other, too. Right. I, I, I like that standalone format because sometimes a podcast that has a lot going on, and we do have a lot of ideas for this to be a long-term project. I think that podcasts that build on, on themselves are overwhelming in a way because you feel like you're so behind it makes you not want to jump into it and that's not what we want this to be right um so uh let's just jump right into it like one of my favorite youtubers says um so today specifically we're going to kind of talk about you and i the difference between disney and pixar um Surely someone's going to hear that sentence and be like, but Disney and Pixar are the same thing. Disney owns Pixar. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, that is true. But also, there's a lot of things that make them different. Um, we've both done our different research. We've kind of reviewed everything. Um, and we're just going to talk about what we found out and kind of debate how we feel. I'm in. I'm ready. Yes. Uh I, I'll start off, even though I've done the majority of the talking, because um, I know that I did the um, very, like, basic research at the beginning. Um, so I'm going to kind of cover a little bit of background on each company. Um, so right. for most Disney stands, it should be pretty obvious uh, that Disney's been around for much longer than Pixar. Um it was started by, you know, your superstar Walt Disney. Uh, it was founded originally in that 1920 to 1923. I have a couple of different resources that say different specific dates. Um, that's kind of the time frame, you know, that that Great Depression era that um, that Walt Disney was getting this company started. Whereas Pixar was started by Ed Catmull in 1979, and it was a contract that he did out with George Lucas, and it was eventually purchased by Steve Jobs in 1986. So it started significantly later um, than Disney, but they uh, kind of got into a contract, um, I think. I didn't write that the specific year down, but um, I think in that 19... 
87 or 8, shortly after Steve Jobs took over, um, is when a formal contract was set up for Pixar to work kind of exclusively with Disney, but they did have other side projects that they did mostly in nonprofits. Um, and so even though they both were animation studios, they both focused on different things. Um, Disney's well known for their hand drawn um, animation style, uh, which they used for a very, very long time, even after their 2006 merger with Pixar. Um, and Pixar has always been completely digital. Um, and they moved more into a 3D animation style much earlier than Disney was willing to adopt that. Um, and aside from just those different technical aspects of the job um, and of animation, uh, I thought it was really interesting to look at the fundamental aspect of working for these companies. Um, Disney has an official mission statement that I'm going to read. Um, the mission of Walt Disney Company is to entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling, reflecting the iconic brands, creative minds, and innovative technologies that make ours the world's premier entertainment company, um, which is your class A BS business crap. Um, not to be pretty sure it paints. I know. Uh, it, it, obviously, a mission statement has to be very, like, you worked retail, you know. Um, there's a there's a mission statement for a company, and especially those companies that are very people forward, um, where you have to, like, put a face on for your customers and for the people using your service or product. You have to have this inspiring and magical mission statement that make people believe in your brand. Um, which Disney has done really well, so it's not that it's bad, um, but it's definitely manufactured. That's I, I can't see that being a statement coming from the heart. Um, yeah. Versus Pixar, which this was one of those things that when I was researching for this particular episode really stood out to me because Ed Catmull um, adamantly disagreed with the concept of a mission statement for a company. For kind of the same reason that I was like, ah, Disney's mission statement is manufactured. Um, he was like, no, a mission statement is super general. It never really represents what the company wants because companies change over time. Uh, and so he said that the mission should be the product itself. Um, and so when he was in charge of Pixar, he really pushed that. He pushed make a good product. Um, and you, we'll talk about it a little bit more later when we get into some of the things that make each business unique. Um, but it's it's really clear that the there's a lot more dedication to quality of product in Pixar than there is Disney. Um, and so, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get into the like the things that make each company unique. Um, but yeah. So that's kind of the boring background of each company. Uh, did you get a chance to read any of those resources at all? Uh, no. That's okay. They, were, <laughs> they Honest to goodness, they were dry reads. Um, but I wanted to start somewhere because uh, it doesn't feel right to, like, dive into this, especially, like, it will become super obvious to anyone who does listen to us that I am not a Disney fan. I actually really dislike Disney quite a bit. Um, and so I, yeah, not you, you like Disney. 
Um, in fact, I, I'm most of the people I'm friends with love Disney. I wouldn't say I love it, but I do like it. I don't. We're not going to get into why I don't like it in certain ways, but. Well, and a lot of that will come out as we go. Um, even though we have things that, like me, I don't like the company. That doesn't mean I don't like their product. Um, which I think, Ali, is the same stance that you take is the product in many cases isn't bad. It's more the company culture and the way the company does business. Operates. Yeah. For sure. Um, now, uh Let's well, well let, let's talk about some of the things you do like about Disney before we go forward. Like, because honestly, a lot of the Disney movies that you've told me you've liked are legitimate Disney productions. Yeah. Um. I mean, I grew up with Disney, as a lot of people did, you know. And, um. I think one of the things I really appreciated about it is even if the characters weren't all super dynamic, most of the movies that I really liked did have characters that had com- complex emotions or like deep thoughts and stuff like that. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Um, and if I'm not, so it, this is going to come up later um, when we like do our, cause we, we will spoiler alert, have a, a Disney princess episode exclusive. Um, cause we've already planned out what season one episodes are going to look like. I think we're looking at like eight, if I remember correctly. Um, it, it's definitely less than 10. Um, yeah. but, uh, there will be a Disney princess episode. And if I remember correctly, based on your favorite Disney princess list, I think almost all of your Disney princesses were from Walt Disney um, productions exclusive. I I don't think that you listed anything that came from Pixar because Moana is the only official Disney princess that came from Pixar. Which she was on my list. I think I might've listed Merida as well. But she is. She that she was actually really unique because of the fact that she was a Disney production, um, and she was the only character at the time that really broke the mold of their usual princess stereotype. All right, yeah, um, um, yeah. And then, obviously, if there's only one princess that comes from Pixar, like that means. Inevitably, most of my favorite Disney princesses also come from original Disney, Disney productions. Um, but I was really surprised. We had we did have some similarities when we did that list, but we actually had differences too, as far as like the official top five that we gave, which was interesting. But again, that comes later. Oh yeah. Um, something that I wanted to make sure that we knew. Um, when we got this started was kind of like those popular movies, right? That most people can't tell the difference between Disney Pixar productions and Disney productions um, that are by themselves. Uh, and so I, I made a list and films that are specifically Disney Pixar versus specifically Walt Disney animation um, and I mean, you're looking at the document document with me. Yeah. It's 
pretty clear based on like the most popular and familiar of the um, two. One has a larger list by far. Absolutely. Um, but it's probably not the one that people would expect. Um, because I think of the monetization that comes out of specifically the other group. Um, and so I'm going to just list that other group. It's Disney Pixar has the shorter list. Um, even though most people refer to all Disney films as Disney Pixar, that's not the case. Um, and so your Disney Pixar films, short and sweet toy story, bugs life, monsters, Inc monsters, university, finding Nemo, finding Dory, your cars, films, the Incredibles, Ratatouille, Wally up, brave inside out. Um, the good dinosaur Coco and onward. Um, and then obviously Moana would be on this list. I don't know why I don't have it there or no. I I have it. I, Oh, I got it backwards. Whoops. You can whoever, if there's like a comment feature, let me know that I'm stupid. Uh, I had it backwards. Merida is the first and only Disney official princess that is not Walt Disney exclusive. Moana was special because she was the first, um, Disney princess because she hasn't had a coronation yet. And that's in part because they can't decide where to do it. <sighs> that feels obvious to me, but you know, Disney's not calling me for ideas. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, just list some of our wonderful Walt Disney animation crap. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you want me to start at the beginning, I will, because there's Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, Bambi, Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Sleeping Beauty, 101 Dalmatians, The Jungle Book, The Aristocats, Oliver and Company, which I don't think is on this list, but is important. It is, it is but it's not one that I've watched. Um, oh and it's not one that I'd ever heard of until, like, a few years ago, even, when I, like, first was looking up Disney Dirt, because I'm, like, I have a lot of hate for Disney. That and, is a, like, severe injustice. Like, that movie would be just up your alley, like. Probably, but I'm going to tell you right now, even before you finish this list, there's maybe only like four of these movies that I would watch more than once, maybe five. Which is insane to me because I've watched all of these movies so many times. I have, I will say all of the movies on this list, I have seen at least once. Oof. But for the, for, for the most, and some of these I've only seen because I've had to sit in classrooms where they've been shown. Um, but yeah, most of these films I've only seen once. There's one of these films that actually is related to a very deep, dark trauma of mine that I will never watch again. I'm not even going to say which one it is. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm not a Disney girl. I'm not. I mean, I accept that, I guess. Um, I think I ended on Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan, 
Emperor's New Groove, Atlantis, Lilo and Stitch, Treasure Planet, Brother Bear, Chicken Little, Meet the Robinsons, uh, Bolt, Rapunzel, Princess and the Frog, Wreck-It Ralph, and Ralph Breaks the Internet, Frozen, 1 and 2, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, Moana. And then Frozen's on there twice. Because I hate Frozen, and I I forgot literally four <laughs> words later that I had already typed it. Because I just hate it that much. Um, you also have Chicken Little on here twice. Do I? You do. I'm gonna take it out for you. That that's okay. Uh, Chicken Little is an embarrassment, and so. <laughs> My God. What? I, I uh, there's gonna be a lot of people who listen to this, and they're like. Uh, maybe, maybe Alex should die because she hates Disney. There are people that are going to feel that strongly about it. And to you, I say, it's okay. Cause I want to die anyway. <laughs> so we're on the same page, my hating friends. Um, but yeah, uh, I did some math stuff and I don't think I'm really going to talk about the math stuff, um, too, too much, um. Other than to say, even though Walt Disney Animation has a much larger list. Oh, that's my computer. I call him <laughs> Bruce, and he likes to tell me the time every hour on the hour. And so that lets you know uh, we're in the middle of the night. Um, but as far as, like, the math that I did that I know definitely confused you, Allie. Um, I'm bad at math. <clears throat> uh. The, the only thing that's really important to know is, yes, Disney Pixar Films has a much smaller list. Um, but at the end of the day, if you look at the last 14 years since their merger, um, at the rate that they've been releasing films, um, it's actually they're actually picking up speed. Um, and so they, I, I foresee a time coming where there's more Disney Pixar films than actual original Walt Disney animation films. Um, just, just on the fact that because they're so much more popular, so much easier to monetize, um, and really honestly, a much better quality. Um, I think we're going to see a point where Disney Pixar films, uh, really take off. And since Pixar is not, exclusive to disney like they do work with disney but they file their own taxes they are a completely separate entity it's more like disney has an umbrella of companies um under which they are trying to monopolize the entertainment industry um pixar is just one of those like little ends the one of the little tips of the umbrella that help make like the little drippy parts that like form triangles that was not a good description that i made with my face <laughs> Um, but it's just one little branch of, of the, the, the big God hand that has become Disney. Um, and so since they do get to operate independently, they make a good portion of those profits back to themselves when they do Disney Pixar joined films. Um, and so I think that even though they're not technically competing with each other, we're going to see that come that, co that combined product really take off and stand out. Right. Um, you're laughing. <laughs> and, I, and I know it's because I have a lot of opinions that I've already shared 
that I didn't intend to like go ham with right away, but it just happened. I mean, I, I, I said it. I'm just real bad at math, so it kind of just went over my head a little bit. That's okay. I probably should do the next part then, because uh, it's not numbers. <laughs> is it the reputation? Yes. I can help with that. I'll talk. Um, well, so uh, before before we did this research and we looked at this document, um, who who did you personally believe had a better reputation as a company, Walt Disney or Pixar? Pixar. Uh, and that was, I mean, I don't like Disney, uh, so I was never going to be like, oh yeah, Disney has a great reputation. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I definitely. My my opinion going into this without having the exact numbers was uh, um, that Disney was going to be well-liked by staff, but less liked by customers because they're so big that customers have those equally as big expectations. And Disney isn't always able to deliver on that because um, sometimes they get a little too big for their britches. Um, and I figured that with... Pixar, we were going to see kind of the opposite. We were going to see a lot of employees excited, um, but maybe less consumer excitement because they do sequels, which is something that they really were not interested in doing. And in fact, they only do sequels for their Disney Pixar products or productions. Um, so I was kind of expecting... I was expecting Disney and Pixar to be about the same for reputation, um, but maybe opposite, like where one had better employee reputation, but the other had better customer. Right. Um, but that's, as you can see in front of you, not really what I found, was it? No, no. Uh, so let's start with Disney. What what ended up being better, customer or employee satisfaction? Definitely customer. Which uh, does not surprise me, can I say. Which, as someone who likes Disney and is happy with Disney, I'm, I can see why that would not surprise you as much as it surprised me. Well, I mean, it's not even my personal opinion. Like, I know a ton of people that are big Disney stands. Like, they're super duper into it. So it doesn't surprise me that more people that watch the movies or what have you would be into it than not. And that's a pretty big gap between the numbers, I would like to say, because it's 20%. Yeah. We, we're looking at a 90% satisfaction. And we did use a, a website that I'm going to open up just so that I can say it by name. Um, it's, it's by comparably.com. Um, which is a website where customers and employees can go and like rate their experience with the company. And um, so like there's a significant difference in the number of people that did it, but the percentages I think speak for themselves um, because Disney had 363 employees participate in the employee satisfaction figures. Um, but I couldn't find any numbers for the number of customers that participated. Um, but of, of that 70% of people that were satisfied with their job, only 45% of them would say, yeah, you should work here. 
And only 29% said that, meh, I mean, you could work here. Which, compared to Pixar, um, we're looking at a, a fairly, again, decent chunk in, a, in like, the number differences. Um, Almost 10%. Yeah. Um, because with Pixar, the customer satisfaction is what? Um, 84%. And then their employee was? 76. Which is, that is closer, but quite a long shot. That's less than 10% difference between the two, which means they're, they're pretty close as far as, like, what people would expect working there and going there as, as like... Or not going there, because Pixar doesn't have, like, a location. Um, but, like, what people feel about the productions that they make. Um, so, tw 20% versus 8%? Yeah. I mean, that's not... There's no arguing that. Clearly, Pixar has, like, just the overall better reputation that's more consistent with the target audiences that their films are for and the type of people that they're hiring. Um... But when we look, when we drop down, while only 17 people uh, who worked at Pixar participated in this particular survey for this website, um, we had 45% again say, yes, you, you could work for this company. Um, but increasing from the 29% who were neutral about Disney, we had 37% of people that were neutral. Um, so when you compare that yes and neutral, Disney had 74% of their staff saying that, yes, I would work here again, or, you know, I could work here again, versus 82% for Pixar that would say, yes, I could work here again, or, you know, I'd be okay working here again. And so that's 8% difference here is, again, not a big chunk, kind of like with the customer and employee satisfaction of Pixar, but when you're comparing companies, that 8% is, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you had to choose between job A and job B, and one had 8% more people saying that, yeah, this is a, either a good or okay place to work, I imagine you're going to pick that, that company with the higher rating. Personally, I would. And I think that's how most people would be. Um, yeah. So I don't know about you. I found those stats really interesting. Um as far as, like, just getting a number to put to it. Because um, it wasn't exactly what I expected. Now that I've done more research, I'm not surprised. But it is interesting. So do you want to talk about some, <laughs> some juicy scandals? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because scandals go with reputation, obviously. Um and we are, I literally, I can't believe that I wrote this in my notes for, I did a numbered list for this just for anyone listening. Cause you can't see what we see. Um, I, the literal first thing that I wrote under the Disney list is all of the things all of the time. Um, I'm going to be honest, right? I don't know that much about most of these. Um, I know with good luck, Charlie, there was an episode where they aired um, 
I think it was like one of the last ones that they even showed, but there was a gay couple. I think it was a lesbian couple. Yes. Um, they were neighbors or whatever, and they were introduced onto the show, and all of a sudden, the show got canceled. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, like, because I know you're familiar with it, but I think when I first brought the, like, when I first broached the topic of not liking Disney, because you know how, like, some people don't tell their parents that they're bisexual or homosexual, or some people don't tell their friends, like, oh, I have a mental health disorder, because you're worried about how people are going to judge you. Sure. I feel that way about telling people that I don't like Disney. Um, because it's like, like, it's almost a cultural thing, right? Like it's expected that, oh, like, especially if you're American, it's like, oh, every American's going to love Disney. Like Disney's like everything that they do. Yeah. And even though I grew up watching Disney, um, it wasn't my thing. I was, I was not that girl that was like, oh, I'm a princess or, oh, I want to be a princess. I was seven years old. And my mom told me that if I wanted to be a brain surgeon, I needed to sit through a live brain surgery. And I, I did. And then I changed my mind. And instead of being a brain surgeon, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so uh, I, I think just genetically, Disney was never, we were never destined to go on a blind date and love each other. That It's funny that you say that because when I was seven years old, um, I think I wrote, a children's book. Yes, which we've talked about in private, and we won't go into it here because I know you're pretty embarrassed about it. Um, <laughs> Why would I be embarrassed? I think it's fabulous. Uh, but I, I think it's fabulous from like that mom brain that I have. Like it's fabulous because you were so young and you already knew that you were passionate about that. Um, but like I said, we won't go into that. We can just kind of keep going through these Disney scandals. I'm just going to like put notes by the ones that you talk about. Okay. <clears throat> um, I mean, I see number three uh, says, please help me with that word because I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't want to pronounce it wrong. Patriarchy reinforcement. That, yeah. Um, so that's pretty obvious in like every single thing that Disney has ever made. It is. Uh, I mean, in a lot of ways, Disney really goes into the it's a man's world kind of thing. So, like, women are just expected to do this or that because they're told or whatever. I mean, the biggest thing that's coming to mind right now would be, like, Mulan, right? Which culturally speaking, that was accurate probably for the time. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It, I, it's it's hard to verbalize, I think, sometimes, especially, like, with the goal of our show here. It's not to, like, be... We're not here to debate or question each other. We're more here to discuss and, like, inform and learn about each of these topics and share it in a way that people can enjoy with us. And I like that about us because really, honestly, for as good of friends as we are and as well as we know each other, we really don't agree on a lot of like fan specific things. Um, And I think that makes fun conversation because we can kind of walk each other through our different like thought processes um, and experiences. Um, And so like, 
it's hard to vo vocalize that when you don't want to start an argument or offend people. Um, and so I, I think you're on the same page as me as if we do say something that is offensive or hurtful or wrong, we would want to know yeah. so that we can fix it and change it. Um, we also want to be educated and informed. Um, we're not, we're not here to like be attacked, but we're also not here to be ignorant. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So like more on that, I mean, look at any princess movie, please. And <laughs> like, what is the role of the female protagonist and what is the role of the male hero? In literally any movie, the woman yeah. is always a damsel in distress and the man is always there to rescue her. Yes. And and even I, mean, I was going to say, like, even in movies where the woman is able to, like, stand up for herself, like Hercules, which may or may not be a good example. Um, Meg is obviously, like, one of those women that is interested in speaking her mind and doing what she needs to do to just, like, be safe or whatever. And... In the end, even though she has this strong personality that really, like, comes through, she still ends up relying on Hercules. Which, like, it's okay to rely on people. That's not what I'm going for. I'm just saying the fact that the woman always has to be in distress yeah. is just... Like, yeah. they obviously see women as weak things that need protection. And it's like, that's just not the case. That's just not it. Which I think that's a good, like, I, I'm, I wanted to list a whole bunch of the other, like, really strong female characters that get a lot of hate for being strong female characters. Um, but I'm not going to do that because we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to the wonderful ladies of Disney. Um, and I do, I, I do genuinely mean that because there, I, there are good female role models in Disney films. Some of them are princesses. Some of them are not princesses. Um, and... That's why there's going to be a whole episode dedicated to the princesses and women of Disney, because I think that that is a huge conversation that needs to be. We're going to talk because at the end we are, of this particular season, we're going to talk about some things that Disney really does need to do if they want to regain their reputation, because we're looking at a list of like nine major scandals. Um, and two of those scandals do cross over with um, Pixar but at the end of the day, Disney has so many negative things kind of stabbing at their their public image that it's it's hard for me to think that Disney is is going to be able to keep running away from it because yeah. Especially in regard to this patriarchy reinforcement kind of concept and in what they produce, I I literally have a not nice thing here about Walt Disney on line 5. Um but uh, I'm going to speak to this because I'm very intensely angry about it. Um, when I was doing some research for this, I didn't source it, um, but I, did, I found it again when I was researching for our next episode. Um, Walt Disney personally signed and um, dictated letters to female animators who were applying for jobs at Disney in that like 1920s to 19 like 80s time frame saying that they don't hire women animators at all and that's a problem 
what the fuck? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah there's there. It's it's oof. I'm not going to go into it because it's going to make me angry. Um, and I know that talking about some of these other things is also going to make me angry. Um, Meryl Streep, for example, when she's worked on Disney productions, uh, she has nothing but terrible things to say about working with Walt Disney and working with Disney Corporation. Um, in fact, it is my understanding that they won't even hire her to, or, or work with her on anything anymore because she was not quiet about how terrible things were and how sexist things were. Um and kind of the other really big one that I want to talk about, uh, and you're going to hear my tap, tap, tapping, because I want to make sure that I get the film name right and the name of the author right. Uh, um, it's not, so it's not the Mary Poppins series. Um, it's it was that that movie where it showed the process that it took for Walt Disney to make um there it is Julie Andrews or Andrews sorry Julie Andrews wrote the story of Mary Poppins or P.L. Travers sorry Oof. I'm looking at all the names I thought that was wrong <laughs> Okay. I was gonna say she was an actress. No, she's, a, she's an actress. Sorry, I look. I saw the first name that was highlighted. I was like Julie Andrews, and I was like, wait, that sounds wrong. Now that I'm saying it, he played the original, the original. Um, P.L. Travers, who was a female, um, wrote Mary Poppins. Um, and it, it it's a lot of people talk about the fact that it took over 20 years to make this film, right? Because Disney was doing everything possible to convince her to do this. Um, and they even almost romanticize it with the 2013 film Saving Mr. Banks, which I did watch. Um, it is a really interesting movie. Um, and like I said, it really romanticizes the experience of it. But I'm just saying right now, um, the main takeaway from it is uh, it took 20 years to convince P.L. Travers to make the film, to let them make the film, um, because they couldn't agree on a screenplay. They couldn't agree on no music. Um, she, P.L. didn't want any of this, right? She, it, The image that Disney had was not the image that she wanted for Mary Poppins. Um, but, of course, now that's all people think of, right? Yeah. Um, I don't even know the song, but the one with like something, something, something makes the medicine go down. Like that's what people usually think of. You're yeah. laughing at me. I am but laughing you, at you. But you know what I mean, right? I know what song you're talking about. I'm just surprised you don't know the words. It well because I'm not a Disney kid. I honestly I know maybe one line from the major popular songs and nothing else. I like I, I know more of you want to build a snowman and let it go from my least favorite Disney production than I do anything else. That's crazy. That's um, but that that the whole issue with Mary Poppins really boils down to um, Walt Disney made a promise to his granddaughter that he would obtain the rights to this and make it into a movie, and that mattered more to him than being respectful to this equally creative mind 
who was a female with a history of turning females down. Um, and so it's a lot of people think that Walt Disney is this amazing, wonderful guy that cared about the good things in life and really just wanted to set a good example for kids through his works. Uh, but that mission statement, again, is super calculated, very business focused. It's not there's not a, a shred of heart and soul in it. Um, yeah. And you when you start really digging into the way that there there's so many sexist values in this company, um, it's it's super obvious that this is marketed towards girls, but has no intention of respecting them. And I think that's the biggest frustration that a lot of girls are running into now. They enjoy Disney, but Disney continues to let them down. It's from an outside perspective. I guess I'm not outside because I'm, I don't. You know. <laughs> You're literally a part of this podcast. <laughs> it, okay, so my issue with Disney has, since I've been like mentally aware and able to fix my thoughts in a like a logical manner has always been that women are objectified and often the the caricatures of women that they create in the films are almost mocking right my I, the first thing i think of is uh um tangled the 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 it, that is a good example of uh, that caricature, caricature um, concept that Disney has is you've got this doe-eyed blonde princess who's been isolated from the world. And she acts like a doe-eyed princess girl that you would meet in public. But you wouldn't call her doe-eyed princess. You would call her something else and it would be not as nice. Yeah. No, completely. As- yeah. Oh. Mm. I love that movie. That's one of my favorite movies. And no, I lo- I also love that movie. It's definitely one of those Disney films that I have seen more than once. Um, and, and to be honest, I have a 12 year old son, and that was one of the princess movies that he did enjoy because he thought it was funny. He liked that we had this princess who was who was really goofy and really loud and really silly and was unafraid to be different and made mistakes, but like not in a daunting, ridiculous way. Like she just made silly mistakes that mistakes. she could relate to. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's always gonna be one that stands out to me. Um, but it ha- it's it's decorated with its few share of flaws as well. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there right now. Yeah, we can talk more about. Rapunzel and all of that jazz. Yeah. Other episode. Which, and there's, I I can't remember if we set it up to where we talk about like the real women of Disney who have become like the Disney pop stars who have left their relationship with Disney, but that's going to be a whole episode itself where we're going to talk about the impact of Disney on real people who work for them. Yeah. And and that'll be a fun episode too. Um, because that kind of ties into this, like, labor laws. We're not going to go into that a whole lot, because I think every company, everybody is aware of that. But yeah. I'm sorry, your major companies are exploiting small children in other countries. That's just the long and short of it. Um, and the more aware of that you are, um, the easier you can figure out how to make a difference. Like, if that means 
don't buy those Disney licensed toys anymore, then don't buy them. Get something special from an Etsy creator. Like there are other ways to get Disney product. You don't have to buy it from Disney. You don't have to give them that money. A good example would be um, there is this one, I think it was birthday or Christmas that um, my friend didn't tell me what she wanted. And I knew that she was super into a band and specifically one member of the band. And so I went out and I bought a doll and I painted it myself to look just like that person. Aww, that's so sweet. And I mean, it was not well done, not by any means, but I mean, obviously I'm not like a doll painter, but it was, I mean, it's, it's, there's people out there that can do it and it's not hard to find them. You just have to look. Yeah. And I mean, I also like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not getting better at my art skills. Um, I'm really good in the art of recreation. That seems to be like, I'm good at mimicking singing voices, um, specific singing practices. I'm really good at mimicking writing styles, authors. Uh, And the other thing I'm really good at is if I look at something, um, I can re I can usually recreate it or I can figure out how when it comes to art. Um, and so you have been on the receiving end of personalized gifts that I've given to you. And yes, you can speak to how that lands differently when you buy something that's licensed versus something that's homemade. It just, I don't know. It feels more personal because on one hand, if you get it licensed, like, yes, you're taking into account that this is something that they enjoy and love but on the other hand, if you make it by hand, it's like beyond that. Like it's you're still taking into account that they love it, but you're personalizing it for them. It's like a second layer of love to the gift that is irreplaceable, I think. Precisely. Um, and so the last thing that I'm going to talk about. Uh, This is relatively new, and it has been swept so far under the rug. Um, I don't even know if I've mentioned this to you either. I don't think even in text or conversation on Facebook. Um, But there's there's this child star, Ricky Garcia, who was in a band um, that was fairly successful on Disney. I can't even remember the name of the band um, off the top of my head, so I'm going to Google it. it was after my time. I had already parted ways with Disney at that point. Um, oh, let me find the band name here. Um, uh, Forever in Your Mind, I guess, was the show that they were on. Oh, no, that was the name of their band. Sorry. Forever in Your Mind. Um, and it would have they would have been really popular, it looks like, during the 2013-2018 time frame. Um, but they didn't hit it big very long. Uh, and basically, the, the summary of this story is when he got signed by his talent agent, Joby Hart, um, his, his parents were asked to sign off parental rights to Joby, which they agreed to do in order to allow him to travel across state lines for work with his talent agent and to go on tour without his parents, which Disney pushes. 
Disney and their talent agents push the parents not to be involved in the child's career. That way the parents and the children can have a healthy parent-child relationship. Um, but in this case, what ended up happening is Jovi started sexually abusing him um, at like 15 years old and continued to sexually abuse him until he was 19 years old, um, even after he stopped making music um, because he was supposed to go solo. And um, basically what happened is he came out um, about it to his brother his brother told his parents, um, and from there they tried to work it up the the chain of command at Disney to get him fired, uh, but it didn't work. He is his the talent agent Joby Hart is still taking new clients. Many of them are underage boys and girls, um, and it, it's a situation where Ricky Garcia is not even the first person to report it, um, but he continues to be protected by Disney as a company. Um, and I, their case, the case for this criminal trial is still open. The last I had read, um, but I literally just learned about this. Um, the the first original proceedings and complaints started as as early as late 2017, um, and there was uh, I think official court documents filed sometime in mid to late 2018. Um, but there has no been there has not been a trial there's there's nothing moving yet um which is awful right because yeah. that's a big deal if anyone else was abusing a child sexually at that age for a prolonged period of time they would be in jail and to be honest they would probably be in isolation because other criminals would want to kill them yeah but this man still has his job and it hasn't affected his ability to get new clients, even though this accusation is out there. And su- supposedly, allegedly, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of there's a paper trail to prove that these things happened. Um, have you have you gone into the story of um, the ways that Joby Hart would manipulate and like get them um, to do? So specifically, he would take the that was explored in this is they the kids would be taken to after parties um, where bartenders were paid off not to card. And so they would encourage kids to drink to their heart's content um, because their uh, talent managers would be taking them home at the end of the night. And they were also told that if they wanted to bring anyone home with them, that they could. Um, But they also were offered to older celebrities as well um if an older celebrity took a particular interest in them um and so it didn't matter if it was just an older child celebrity or if it was like an adult celebrity um they were absolutely invited to come home and and engage in any kind of abuse um more than once uh ricky describes in some of his his documents that he remembers uh, drinking and passing out at a party, and the next thing he knows, he's waking up with no clothes in this man's bed. And so, um, it's pretty apparent that if anything did happen, um, that it wouldn't have been consensual. It would, it would have absolutely been a crime. Um, and the only reason I say if anything did happen is because you and I weren't there. No one was there except them. 
Um, and so it's our duty as human beings to, to trust that victim until we have a reason not to trust that victim. Um, because, uh, even though we are a country innocent until proven guilty, um, that, that goes both ways. Your, your victim should be considered innocent and free of, um, any doubt until the trial goes through and someone is found guilty or not guilty. And even then we've seen situations where people have been found not guilty and then admit to a crime. Um, so, you know, like using intelligent thought and fact checking is a huge part of that. And, um, that was one that just real, that's the very most recent huge one that I expect that we're going to see more and more in the future. I hope that the trial goes through and that Joby Hart is removed. Yeah. Like I said, the least that they could possibly do. Yeah. Um, did you, so have you read up on that as well? Like, were you familiar with it before I brought it up? Yes. I remember I saw an article on Twitter um, about how, I think it was Chris Pratt and his wife uh, were quote unquote canceled because they um, knowingly allowed like a a pedophilia ring to happen at a point at their house. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so so that opened up the whole thing about Ricky Garcia. Yes. Um, which, like I said, that that itself was um, that there were issues with that already being made public even before that particular article that you found, because um, I remember that day when you messaged me and I was reading that article and I was just like disgusted yeah. um, by it. But I do remember when I was reading those early articles, um, Ricky said that they would often go to big celebrities houses uh, and they were called social events where they were supposed to be getting contracts and stuff. Um, but that's, oof, that's a huge one. Um, and I'm going to lighten it up. If you're okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to ask about this alligators everywhere at parks, because that doesn't seem like a bad thing to me. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a bad thing to you. Oh, no, um, absolutely not. Let me see. I know that my source for this one is Wikipedia. Um, but I Listen, feel alligators are just like swamp dogs. They're just, they're just chilling, man. I know. Um, but <laughs> I had, I'd seen somewhere when I was initially reading, cause that, I feel so bad that I didn't go back and source all of these. Like I was supposed to, I know that no one actually cares about it, but like <laughs> I care about it. Uh, because I was reading, like list after list after list of Disney um, scandals and big things. And I'm not kidding you. I looked at like 10 different sources and every single source talked about the number one life threatening and serious injury that gets settled through mediation at Disneyland and Disney park, Disney world World. um, is alligator attacks. That's insane to me because I've been to Disney World a few times and I I mean, I've never seen an alligator outside of maybe a ditch outside of the park. Like they have around it. Apparently um, it's a fairly common issue uh, where they don't really do anything to get rid of them. Um, Let's see. Disney alligators. 
So apparently there's a big fatal one in 2016. Yikes. That was reported by the Orlando Sentinel. Oof. Um, they had a uh, harvest permit, which that's a really interesting way to say kill the alligators. <laughs> but they had a permit that expired in 2019 because there were so many of them. Um, and that was through routers um, or routers. I'm not sure how you actually pronounce it, but I've learned that I pronounce things really weird. So, um, yeah. So it looks like it was a bigger problem in the 2016 to 2019 timeframe. Um, I mean, if you have to get permission, like if you have to get a license or a permit to, to kill an animal because you have so much of it, I'm sorry, but are you really worried about the safety of your patrons or are you really like just here for the Dallas? Which I think as we go on, we're going to learn that that really is all Disney is about at this point. Yeah. Um, bringing, wanna... I, I think you are on the same page as me. Like, let's move on to Pixar because that's yeah, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, uh, so neither one of these, I'll talk about the first two quickly, and then you are my Onward expert, because uh, you had a unique experience with Onward before it even hit theaters, so uh, I'll let you deal with that that brainchild of yours. Um, Ed Catmull, the original, uh, the original gentleman of Pixar, if you will, um, colluded uh, with other animation companies to basically prevent fair pay, um, basically wage increase blocking uh, is a whole thing, but it wasn't just Pixar. Like if it was just Pixar, that would be one thing. Um, but it was like 15 different animation companies. And so uh, it was, I mean, big business at its worst. The, these were people that were trying to maximize profits by lowering wages. Um, and that's, that's a big deal. And that's a big problem. Um, but the year that this came out was 2014. Um, and so that was huge, huge time gap uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, because companies and people can change so much in six years. Um, and I think that considering the that there's only two other major scandals with Pixar right now that really are news noteworthy, uh, I think that that's really telling that for the most part, this isn't a bad company to be with. Um, the other one is, uh, which both of those were crossovers. Uh, those happened during the uh, Disney Pixar partnership era. The other one is this John Lasseter and his sexually inappropriate behavior with other staff members. And uh, I think it said minors. Um, I didn't read into it too much because I was already getting pretty mad. Uh, by the time I came across that one. Um, but that was also just one person. And so that doesn't majorly speak to the company, uh, especially considering he lost his job uh, and he had to resign shortly after this came to light. Um, and so it, I, I think the thing that is noteworthy here with these two big deal scandals is that they were resolved quickly and appropriately versus there's there's stuff with Disney that's still happening uh, that is not changing. 
which is hmm. that's another like huge uh I know that you don't have a business degree but I do yeah. um, which I don't I don't talk about that enough I don't think that I have a business degree uh because I do have a very business focused mind um this came to be yeah uh and so like I, I look at these scandals from a very business-centric place. Um, and, you know, if I was doing any kind of, like, PR consulting with these businesses on how to recover their business reputation, I'd be telling Disney they need a, they need a huge overhaul. You need a shift. Yeah. They, like, they, like you t- people talk about Disney eras all the time. Um, and a lot of those errors come with different staff. And I'm telling you right now, I think Disney needs wiped out and reset. Because that might be the only way we see major change. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to let you speak to this onward. Um, because I know that you love it. I know that you love the message of it. Uh, I've heard wonderful things about it. Um, so I'm going to let you talk a little bit about onward itself and then the, the scandal that's surrounding it. So, first things first, spoilers, if you haven't seen Onward, maybe don't listen to this part. Unless you're Alex, in which case, listen if you want to, because you're forced to listen to it anyways. Well, and I, you know me, I probably won't watch it until, like, 100 people uh, have started talking about how overrated it is. And then that's when I'll watch it, because no yeah. one will be talking about it anymore. Um, so, so, the first thing... I don't know that I'm allowed to talk about it, okay? But I had a job that I was able to do. Uh, I'm going to just be really vague about it, okay? Um, But it was... The job was pertaining to a certain interview about certain... I said certain... Certain um, animation type things that were used in the movie um and it was just a wonderful experience and it made me very excited because at that point i had heard a few things about the movie but it wasn't out yet and i don't know it was just a really cool job to have when it was like one of the first big ones that i did Mm -hmm. um that being said uh i watched the movie and have since watched it like a million times because Abby, my sister, is like super duper into it um, for good reason, I would argue. Um, so the first big thing that I want to say about Onward is it's I don't think it's canonical. I will come out and say that. However, I highly, highly feel that one of the main characters is on the spectrum in regards to like autism. Um, And it's just by the way that his character interacts with the world and just the way that he is. And it's really awesome because um, my sister has four children, two of which are on the spectrum. the, 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 the look that you're giving me is so, like, dead-eyed. No, because I, I was waiting to see if you talked about it. I was going to be like, and why is it okay for you to say that you think he's on the spectrum and, you, and you're not just pulling it out of your behind? Um, 
And I'm glad you said, because your sister has two children who are on the spectrum, um, because sometimes when you make those accusations, people are like, well, what do you even know? Exactly. Uh, but um, you know, because you're, you're in it every day every with children day. who are growing into it. Yes. And uh, the character in question, whose name is Barley, he is the older brother of the main character, Ian. Um, he, he would be considered a high-functioning person, I believe, because he's able to, like, live and stuff. Um, it's just the way that he interacts with other people, if that makes sense. But in any case, he is incredible, and the story is incredible because there's no romance. I mean, there's it's like mocking romance, for one. Um, they slip in... Um, there's a cop who is a female who has a girlfriend who has a child, which is awesome. I love that. But the main underlying theme of the movie is, I don't know what it would be. I'm not good at theme. I think I told you that before. Which, and that's okay. Cause we don't really need to know the theme. Um, so much as the impact, right? It's not a romance story, which you wouldn't expect it, right? Because Onward is a Disney Pixar production. And um, yeah. which after um, this, the next section is kind of talking about those differences in their in their productions, um, and in regard to like overall films, but also like even right down to their short films, which, um, which will kind of be like the end of our conversation. Um, but what what's the whole issue with with onward it's packing a huge punch everyone is like gaga for it yeah um so you know before you even start the movie that it's about two boys that don't have a dad their mom is dating someone else obviously um but it's the whole plot is their dad left something behind and it's supposed to give them the power to see him again for one day and so they use it um but the spell goes wrong for some reason or another um and so they just have their dad's legs that's it and so (laughs) um, they go on this big journey to find another thing that they need to try to give him a full body before the day is over and it's, it's just so good because it's about I mean like if you look at Lilo and Stitch right Mm -hmm. that is one of those like sister movies where the complete love and adoration that they feel for each other is so like obvious and present and there's not a lot of that for boys but this movie shows that because it even like they have an issue they fight at some point and they still get past it and it's just it's not as somebody that grew up with um one parent for the most part um it shows how strong sibling relationships can be because a lot of times people don't look at like single parent homes as normal what they are you know in terms of sometimes that single parent is so busy that they can't support the kids with everything that they need, you know? Yeah. And, and if there's part of the two parent household sometimes. So like being a single parent household makes it even harder. Yeah. 
And so if there are more than one, if there is more than one kid in that household, a lot of times the kids will end up depending on each other. And that's really what the movie shows. Like, I don't, I don't want to get too much into it. I'm gonna like get all you, the you've, you've already got into it quite a bit. Um, but it's like, I didn't even know about this until you added it to the list um, with Onward. I'm pretty sure you added it to the list because I don't remember this. I so. didn't. I had no idea that this uh, thing. Well, now I've got to look it up. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Oh, you have a resource? Yeah. Okay, well then you keep talking about it. I'm also going to look at, look at it. I don't remember putting it on the list. So I like, whoops, I needed to get more sleep. Um, Are you looking at Business Insider? I am looking at Business okay, Insider. I'm gonna, gonna, do have, what? I'm going to pull it up and look at it with you. Okay. Um, do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, I'll let you talk about it. Okay. Um, so essentially this thing, uh, what are we, this scandal, um, is that there is a stolen artwork in the movie. So I would like to say, I didn't know about this until like, I looked at this list while we were in the middle of talking about something else. I would, I would, I'm going to get really close to my microphone and I'm going to, I'm going to say a naughty word because I'm looking at these pictures. And I'm going to say bullshit because I disagree. Yes, I for sure agree with you. But it's, what am I to say? You know, um, so there is a stolen artwork in the film and it comes on uh, Barley's van, which she has named Genevieve. I'm going to leave that at that. What a name. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I have a relative named Genevieve. That's a wonderful name. Yeah. She she lives out of state. She's my cousin's first kid. Um, I cannot believe it, but I think she's turning 15 this summer. It's like it's bonkers to me that she's turning 15, but yeah. anyway, back to Genevieve the Van and not um, my relative. So Genevieve the Van has a really nifty unicorn design. I don't think it's a unicorn. It looks more like a Pegasus. Yeah, that, I mean, that, I mean, like I said, I said the naughty word. I won't say any more naughty words. I won't repeat the naughty word I did say, but I'm looking at these two pictures. Um, and I, I mean, one, one's a unicorn and one's a Pegasus. Like the, the one in Onward reminds me of My Little Pony. And yeah. the, the one that the, uh, that is the, uh, the uh, allegedly stolen original uh, reminds me of mature Lisa Frank. Like yes, I could see that. So very style. they're saying that. Well, okay. So the lady who owns the van, who I think designed it, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sorry. I should have read this. No, it's. Um, yeah. So she painted it onto her van that she named Vanicorn. Um, so essentially the producer of Onward called her to apologize about the, uh, alleged ripping off of the design. To me, 
it looks more like a fan art of it. I, like, I used it for inspiration, but didn't, like, rip it off at all. Yeah, which is, I mean, that kind of, that sparks the new conversation. And it's a conversation that I actually just had very, very recently um, with another nerd friend of mine. Um, there is a huge difference between, uh, like, mimicry and thievery, right? And we're in an age where Disney's literally doing live versions of their most successful, problematic, old Disney princess movies uh, and major classics. And so, like, the creativity is not strong in 2020. Um, <laughs> and, and so, like, this, as someone who creates original stories, um, as well as fan fiction stories, like, I've had people request my permission when they've been inspired by my stories uh, and I've asked permission when I've been inspired by other people's stories. Um, and you know, the good thing is to source it and, and like trace it back. You see it with really good, like art YouTubers who will be like, you know, I was inspired by this thing. Uh, and I kind of adapted it based on what X and Y Z person did. Um, but I don't think a source is necessary for this, which is not really the debate. Um, like, she already filed the lawsuit against them. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, that's her right. Uh, but, you know, I'm another plug here. My business degree is a dual law degree. Um, and so I'm, I'm telling you right now, like, I would settle out of court if I was as big as Pixar because I have the money to settle out of court. But I wouldn't be settling out of court because I actually stole something. I would be settling out of court to shut this person's mouth because that's the age we live in is if any stink comes up about something that you may have done wrong, it's career ending. Um, and unfortunately, like like I said, I don't see this as thievery. I, I barely even see it as inspiration because so many people are doing things like this with their cars now. Um, People are doing it to their iPads, their phones, like a personalization thing is big right now. And uh, I can see the similarities. Like I definitely see the the obvious nature of the van is the same model. Um, yeah, the same make and model and color. Yeah, but I just, uh, like I said, I expect it if it's not already settled out of court. Um like, I expect that that's what it's going to go to. I do not foresee this going to, like, a, a judge and jury because it, I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm not on board. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I'm not either. Um, like I said, I can see similarities. And if Pixar did call and say, like, yo, we rented your van, we didn't really tell you why, like. Which that I read on, it said that they rented the van from her for a quote-unquote undisclosed amount of money, um, but the terms were they were going to use it for, uh, I think she said, a one-day music or some kind of festival, and it was going to be used as a visual prop more than anything, which I could get why she'd be like, okay, you guys like stole my car rights, I guess. I don't know how that works, but... it's. Like I said, if anything, it's it was inspirational, but they did a different character. Her van has lightning coming out of a diamond. 
Um, her van has, you know, the ocean and mountains behind a unicorn. Whereas, uh, which I guess the article says that the van's name is Guinevere. Either way, solid name. Genevieve Guinevere, wonderful name for a vehicle. Oh, yeah. Um, but we, he, in, in the actual film, we see this van. We have a Pegasus who is flying through space with, yes, there's lightning, but there's also constellations in the background. Um, and uh, we have a moon instead of a diamond. Um, it, like I said, it's... it's one o'clock. Thank you, Bruce, for reviewing <laughs> how long we've been doing this. Um, it's so second nature to thank my computer. Uh, but, like, even if I, if I had to even put it in less specific terms... We're looking at like a like that '90s Fay almost art style versus like very 2010s cartoon style. Yeah, like it's there. the The style is different. Uh, the setting really is different because we don't have those mountains and ocean. Um, and so like if I were to draw, like if I were to draw a horse leaping at the edge of a pond with a sun in the background, but I used these colors. Am I stealing her art? No, it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, probably, probably too controversial for us to go this deep into the specific topic. We've oh, definitely went off the rails here. Um, I think the thing that we need to take away from it is, is again, this is not a huge life altering scandal for Pixar. And they hopped into it and apologized, like, really fast. Yeah. Um, and, like, that that's not it. You, you don't move that fast uh, even with PR. Like, because when – I mean, you've seen it with celebrities. They're, like – it takes days sometimes before PR handles something and addresses it. Our own president doesn't address – social faux pas sometimes for weeks or until he's questioned about it even a month or so later like it, when it comes to PR nobody's moving that fast um unless one they're expecting it or two they genuinely didn't think that what they were doing was as big of a problem and guess what we are human beings and we don't always recognize something as problematic until someone tells us like if anyone listens to this podcast definitely i'm gonna get held up for getting merida and milana backwards between disney pixar and disney original i'm gonna get called out for saying a naughty word <laughs> and i said the f word earlier i definitely don't remember you saying it <laughs> so you either cut out or said it quiet enough that it didn't register in my brain I'll get called out for calling Guinevere Genevieve. It's okay. But, like, we're not perfect. It's yeah. okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be perfect. Um, it's, it'll be all right. We can transition to, uh, since we spent all this time on Pixar, right? We can, uh, and we both, we've watched the movies, like, I did stupid amounts of like note taking on some different videos that kind of hit bam, 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 the biggest differences between them. But I don't think it's a surprise 
to people. Um, but you you would be surprised by some of these like Disney stands and Disney diehards that um, really genuinely wouldn't know the difference between Disney Pixar and Disney Original. Um, and so there's uh, so many things when it comes to the films that stand out as different. Um, for you, what are the things? Because we don't need to go through all of these, but what are the the like, what are your top two things that stand out between Disney and Pixar that you feel are, one, the most noticeable or, like, two, the most important? Um, well, in regards to Pixar specifically, and I, once it was pointed out, I was like, of course, that makes so much sense. But the fact that Pixar relies more on emotions to move the plot forward than it does on, like, um, I can't think of the word. Um, like, just good and bad exclusively? Yes. There's so much complexity, there's so much complexity with the, um, characters from Pixar movies. I mean, even Talking Cars, which can I say, not my favorite just gonna put that out there um oh not mine either j j uh my kid uh j brobit you'll probably call me hear me call him one of the two um but uh j went through a really long really long car <laughs> thing and uh i tried so hard to make it end i tried to end it every day of my life for like four years Ah. Uh, Cars, I think, is a widely hated one. It's one that gets criticized a lot, especially for the character Mater. <laughs> we don't have to go into that. Um. I didn't hate Mater's character at first, but the like once you watch it a lot, you're like, oh, man. And then when they came out with another one, you're like, oh, oh, man. And then it kept going. And then you just... It's one of those characters that, in isolation, like a one-film thing, you wouldn't have hated it as much. But, like, I almost think that Mater became more popular than Lightning McQueen. Um, and I think that's what that's a major part of what killed that franchise. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't have to get into that. Um, yeah, that's a dark period. <laughs> um, I... So obviously, like the characters and the more emotional plots than like fighting good and evil kind of thing, those really stand out as like staples of Pixar movies for me. Yeah. I mean, like, you look at literally almost any Pixar movie, and if you have to ask yourself, is it man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self? Uh, Sorry, I get really excited about that. <laughs> it's almost always man versus self. Like, yeah. it's some kind of dilemma that the main character themselves is facing for X, Y, or Z reason, you know? And mm -hmm. it makes the characters, like I said, even if it's a car or if it's an ant or if it's a robot that doesn't talk, it makes them more likable and more personable and more, like, relatable. Yes. Um, I got it. I, I, uh, fun fact, uh, I think 
one of my top favorite, if I had to say, like, there's something that I'm balls to the wall in love with that has come out of Disney, Disney Pixar. Um, I love Wally. Um, I, I, I really connected with it because something that I, I'm not super great about it. Like I'll be the first person to say that I'm super bad about, um, getting plastic straws when I go to get fast food. Um, but ideally, um, me and my family, we, do recycle you you can testify to that we sometimes like we have piles of recycling at our back door because we try to recycle as much as possible um and we try to stay informed about what we can recycle where we're at um we've talked about starting a composter this summer like we what we just in general want to focus more on reduce reuse um recycle um and just make the most of like our food scraps uh and just being as environmentally environmentally friendly as possible. Um, and so, like, for Wally, coming in at a time where I was starting to really be aware of the, like, carbon footprint that we leave on the planet, that movie spoke to me. And it spoke to me a lot um, because you see such big character changes in Wally and in Eve um, as characters. But then you – it's – the thing is, is there's not – there's more dynamic characters than static characters in Wally, but it's not true for just Wally. You can say that about like 95% of Disney Pixar productions is that almost every character that you're going to see on the screen is going to go through some type of heart change um, or character development change. Um, and like I said, Wally is that movie for me. But you you said it's a robot that doesn't talk, and so um, I think that's really powerful too. Is to this the fact that a Pixar production can have characters that don't talk a lot and still make an impact. Wally may not be the most known film, but it still packs a bigger punch than some of the Disney originals. I think Wally is. Not necessarily a breakthrough because I don't think they made any huge advancements with uh, like animation or anything, but it's like a huge statement to Pixar's ability to tell stories. Yes. In a way that isn't necessarily musically driven or anything like that because Pixar still uses music in its films, right? But it's all instrumental and. Yes. The music makes the atmosphere. That's like a big thing about Pixar films is like you get a good sense of what kind of like story you're about to get into based on the music. Yes. Um, and I think that like in kind of answering this as well for me, the things that, that stand out to me um, when it comes to like Pixar and D Disney um, and, and this is going to show like that calculated nature uh, of me um, because for as, as creative of a person as I am um, growing up the trauma and life that I experienced not to say that it was bad or that I have a bad family I'm not gonna also pretend that I had a perfect family um, I have a much better relationship with my my family now than I ever did growing up um, and I don't think anyone in my family uh, would ignore that or say any different because we've all done really good about addressing those issues. 
Um, but because of that upbringing, it's the business and law nature of my degree is my my protective, my self-protective nature. That's where I go when I, like, feel threatened or stressed. Thing. And so, like, that analytical, cold, calculated sense of thinking when it comes to things that I care about comes from a place of wanting to protect myself. Um, and so the things that I notice the most about Disney is one, that music, but also like the legacy and staying power. Right. Um, because uh, like you mentioned, Pixar relies on the instrumental pieces or like when they do include vocal pieces, it's for a purpose to support the story, not define it, not move it forward. Um, and I can tell you right now, if someone says they have a favorite Disney movie, they have a favorite song from that Disney movie. And it's sang by their favorite character. Um, that's true. Because that's Disney. Disney, is, they, they like to market themselves as a whole package, right? Like they've got the visual, they've got the audio. Um, and then they have the tactile in the products that you can purchase from them. Um, and so that's where you see these little boys and little girls dressing up as princes and princesses um, and singing and dancing along to their favorite movies at home, um, singing and dancing at school, um, trying to become and mimic those characters um, because Disney's made that very tactile um, aspect um, in their money-making ploy to make their entertainment monopoly even stronger. Um, because, you know, in my brain, Disney's a villain. Um, but uh, Pixar doesn't rely on that. Um, yes, they're very profitable in the sense that they do have um, a lot of marketed product. Um but you didn't see that as much before they merged with Disney. A lot of that um, toy products, um, franchised concepts, all of that comes with being a part of the, the Disney wheel. Um, so the other big one for me is staying power and quality of the products being made. Um, because not a lot of people really like you can find controversy in anything um but you're right. not going to find as much controversy in the disney pixar products because pixar gets final say on everything Th they're not going to produce it if they don't want to and um toy story is a good example they did not want to do a sequel but it was part of their contract with disney so they agreed to do to do toy story 2 they weren't happy with it and so that's why there was a huge gap between Toy Story 2 and 3, because Pixar was not making that mistake again. They were not producing something that they were not happy with. Um, and so they don't care, like with The Incredibles, for example, that you have like 10 years between a first and a second movie, because they're not going to tell a story they don't feel is worth telling. And they right. feel that way about music. They're not going to make a musical or music based product um, or film that doesn't fit their ideals for, for what they want to put on the market. And um, when it comes right down to it, uh, one of the reasons Pixar will always have that staying power 
um, probably long after we see the fall of Disney, um, is going to be because Pixar's not afraid to tell Disney no. There's not a lot of companies out there right now that would be willing and able to stand up to Disney. And um, in fact, to my knowledge, Pixar and George Lucas are the only ones that have stood up to Disney and said, uh-uh, you're not doing it that way. Which is important to know. It is important to know. And it's, and, and I, that's kind of why we wanted to start here, right? Is we are going to be focusing on Disney um, and Disney original products and the effect of Disney. Um, and so it was important to both of us to differentiate between Disney and Disney Pixar um, because we are going to get into the nitty gritty and, and dark side of things at points. And it's important to recognize that when we're talking about this, we are not really talking about the Disney Pixar productions. We're more talking about those Disney, Disney originals and those Walt Disney animations because Disney company. Yes. Um, yes. Because Pixar came in after the fact and the stuff that we're going to be talking about and covering um, when we do our podcast is not going to encompass Pixar necessarily. We may bring it up again in the future, like as a comparison point. Um, but the bulk of what we're going to talk about is, is not Disney Pixar. That being said, um, a few things that stand out to me about Disney specific. Um, one thing that Disney does that Pixar doesn't do is they normally have a role of good and bad in the movies. It's like black and white, which isn't always a good thing. But lately, he, like within the last decade, we'll say, of the movies mm -hmm. that have been produced, the villains that they create are so three-dimensional. Like, the first one coming to mind would be... Um, I forgot his name. The guy from Princess and the Frog. Don't which know is, why. Which is a film that I have not seen. So he is. I mean, the Are you talking about the prince that she ends up marrying? No, because he's not the villain. Okay, so then it's the person manipulating him, correct? <laughs> kind of. There's okay. like, so in the movie, there's like a level one antagonist and then a level two antagonist. Level two is the one that is like bent on destruction, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And the level one is uh, focused on having what the prince in question has. And so, mm -hmm. like, it's not necessarily a good example for what I was trying to say, but it is a good example of showing that they were open at that time to changing the way that they do villains because it's not just oh well this guy is a bad guy and that's how it is uh, yeah and i would even argue that because because you are right right like we've seen the movie maleficent come out and get a backstory on that character yes. uh, which kudos to melissa de la cruz she's an author that i admire very greatly even though she is a product of disney now um <laughs> And she she's a phenomenal writer. She has amazing stories, and she's she does like what she does right, and what she isn't perfect for every Disney cog, right? 
um, her Blue Buds vampire romance series is phenomenal. And it really, like, I'm, I'm telling you right now, Disney is never going to adapt that into a film uh, because it's it's risque, right? Uh, it's definitely like your, your romantic teenagers and young adults. And it has, a, it has so much depth and complexity. And it's, uh, it's definitely a series that I admire very much. And it has influenced the way that I want to tell stories. Um, but with Descendants and Maleficent, it's opened this door, right? to understand the backstory of the villains. And like, we're getting a, a Cruella, Cruella DeVille movie, um, which I'm excited to see. I will be honest because Emma Stone is playing Cruella and she is such a dynamic and hilarious actress. I think she's going to do great in the role. Um, not everybody's excited about it because she's so young. Um, but I, that's one that I might go see in a movie theater. I don't know. We'll see how I feel about that. It happens. Um, but Disney is opening up to this idea of villains are not just good or bad. Um, my first thought went to um, like Moana and I don't remember the witch's name from. from yes. But I, I meant uh, specifically, I was going back to Rapunzel. Um, I was thinking of mother Gothel. That was the one that I wanted to give, yeah. but I was trying to think if there were any that came before it because mother Gothel, I mean, I could go on for hours and hours about the movie Tangled, okay? Like, yes. let's just put that out there. But Mother Gothel specifically, in the way that she treats Rapunzel, because she doesn't ever address Rapunzel in the movie. She addresses her hair. And yes. that is such a significant thing that they animated that literally nobody talks about. Mm-hmm. And I just... Like, it's one of those things that, like, Mother Gothel is this... We don't have a lot of backstory for her. Like, she's this old witch that just wants to be young forever, right? And but like, I'm going to interrupt you, one, to plug the other podcast idea that we have. Um, but, but two, um, when you when you look at the... I think it's the Grimm Brothers version of the story of Rapunzel, or the story that Rapunzel is based off of... Um, the the real the real villains or the real bad guys of the story that like really do wrong are the parents and um basic basically and like I said well we're gonna do a different podcast where we read public domain stories and kind of analyze them as we're reading them um that specific story you have this this pregnant queen who was Rapunzel's mom wanting fruits that this witch has said please don't come in my garden and take my fruits or I will curse you. Like she's laid out very clear parameters. And if you're a good human being, you respect them. Um, but, but you, you weak husband, King man, she, she's like, I need them. I want them. And he, you know, nobody wants to deal with a pregnant woman because that's the culture. Um, and so he goes and gets this freaking fruit and he brings it back to her. And boom. Like she laid out parameters and said this X, Y, and Z are going to happen if you do X, Y, and Z. They did X, Y, and Z, and so they have consequences. Um, and so for me, when I hear that story and watch that movie, my brain is like, you stupid. I know I know that that's not the story that Disney's telling, because Disney would never, never tell a story like that. Um, not the original way at all. Um, and so... Uh, that does give more background to that Mother Gothel character because she's just a woman who wanted to do her magic in peace, didn't want to socialize with other people, 
um, wanted to take care of her gar- yeah right like most people in a, like most uh gen z and millennials in america right now would love to never socialize with people do magic on their own their beautiful garden like yeah that is mood level life Living right? the dream <laughs> exactly uh and so like i think that mother gothel is someone that we really deserve a backstory too, because the way that Disney does present her really opens up this opportunity to explore mental health um, because she fixates on a specific thing. And you see her go absolutely AWOL when that thing is no longer accessible to her. It's akin to addiction yeah. um, and fixation on something specific that you know is meaningless or is out of your control. Um, to that point is so commonplace for extreme personality and mental disorders. And so they have a huge opportunity to explore that. Like we, we could be dealing with a woman who tried to have kids and miscarried in the trauma carried on. Like it, she, she has so much dynamic that you could build. And that's one of those things that I know we will come back to when we start talking about female characters later. Yeah. Because Disney has been doing better with their villains. I hate that they do the black and white thing because life is not black and white. Not in the least. But they've been doing better as far as setting their villains up to be more complex. Like, leaving it open that we can learn more about them. Or uh, one of the things in, in one of the sources that I have is that they use the old wise man kind of trope where you have this mentor role to the main character who ends up being dishonest or bad yeah um and so that's that in itself shows that even though they paint it as black and white it really isn't exactly you you have to be duly invested to give wisdom but also contradict it like that in a broader term like like Severus Snape is the old wise man of Harry Potter. He he gives wisdom harshly, very much presents as the villain throughout the entire series. Nasty. And I've we won't even go into that because we're gonna have a <laughs> season for Harry Potter. Um, but it, I think that's a good homage to that old wise man trope. Is I would even argue that Dumbledore could fit that. Oh, absolutely. But that's uh, another, like, we can wait to talk more about that. Yes. I, I, I can't wait to talk to you about, because I know that we've never talked about, like, we, we, we're huge Harry Potter stands, you and I. Um, and we yeah. do a lot of Harry Potter chat. Um, and you're currently rereading the series. So, like, um, with that, I can't wait for us to talk about, like, that huge Dumbledore plot twist. Because I haven't really ever... I didn't have good friends in my life at the time, so I've never talked to anybody about... Because, like, I remember reading it, and I never fully trusted Dumbledore as a character, but it was a huge... Like, it felt like it was a huge left turn to me. So I can't wait to explore that with you when we do the Harry Potter season. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he also, I think, is a, is a an old wise man role. Um, I'm trying to... I mean, we could list characters for days. We don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, another thing that stands out to me in regards to Disney is, um, I mean, 
I'm not going to talk about the music because I know you're not a fan of the music. I love the Disney music. I I do like the Disney music, but I would like it in a more traditional musical. Like, I bet you if I went and watched the musical versions of these these films, I would like them more. Because Which, like, I, the line was really good, but just saying. But I, I like, I, I'm, a, that's another thing. Um, and I think it's something that you've, you've come to learn more and more about me over the, especially like the past year. Music is a very large part of who I am, a big part of my soul. It's something that comes very naturally to me. And so that aspect of Disney is something that I do like, um, as far as like having those songs. I think they overdo it. Um, I do think that Let It Go is the scum of the earth. Um, and I wish that that song did not exist. But on the, on the flip side, I love Do You Want to Build a Snowman. It's such a catchy, fun song. Um, it's one that I will always remember in a positive way, which, I, which like I said, I, I love their music, but it's it's definitely one of the more memorable ones for me. So I know that you love music and I don't want you to think that like, I don't also like the music aspect of Disney. I just don't. So, I mean, like I'm not in the same boat as you, right? Like music doesn't particularly like hit me like it does normal people, I guess. I don't know why I said it like that. That was really messed up. Um, It it hits you differently than like, and I wouldn't even say like normal people because music moves me like, Ooh, I, I can't tell you how, many times I've tried to talk about how music affects me and people have been like, yo, you're weird. I mean, like, it's just, I don't, like, normally, I guess people would feel, like, a connection with songs or they'd be able to, like, I don't know, like, emotionally connect. And I'm not saying that I'm not capable of doing that because I do have songs that, like, affect me in a way that makes me, like, happy or sad or whatever. But, the, like, when I listen to Disney music, I love it because it, it makes me, like, it's nostalgia almost. Like, it's just, like, a comforting thing. Like, it's just something that was so big and important in my life mm-hmm. that with me, if that makes sense. And it's, like, silly because, like, yeah, okay, that's, like, emotionally moving you or whatever, but it's not like it doesn't make me happy it doesn't make me sad it just is like comfort does that make sense Mm -hmm. i'm gonna say two things i'm gonna say the the less important thing first which is i have a song on my spotify i'm gonna pull it up right now because i do want to reference it exactly by name um because i imagine at least some of the people listening to this podcast if any uh, people will remember that that feeling of the early 2000s type music. Um, it is uh, the song Ley Lines by Floor. Um, I can't even, like, this is going to show just, like, how woven into my very being music is. Um but when I hear that song, Ley Lines, I can't put a name to the band. Um, I can just say, it, it, as soon as it plays, it takes me right back to, like, those years when I was, you know, 11 to 14. It reminds me so much of the kind of music that was both popular but still considered alternative at the time. 
Um, I almost like not at all the way that AFI sounds. Um, but like those bands like AFI, um, Panic at the Disco still wasn't huge on the radio yet. Like they had one or two songs off of an album that were kind of cool, um, but they were still not quite as popular. Um, but it's soft. And so like it sometimes when I hear it, it makes me like dissociate, but not in a bad way. Like yeah. it takes me back, not just in feeling um mentally but feeling physically like my whole physiology changes and takes me back to that specific time of my life um and I was trying to vocalize it today but my my husband doesn't feel music the way that I do and my son is more instrumental um and I said that weird because you're my friend and you know their names are are David and Jay Uh, but uh so like my husband likes music as a coping mechanism. And so like he listens to music for the way that it feels with the bass. My son really likes instruments and musicals. Um, and so he cares about music in that way. I'm the only one that really cares about it lyrically um, and instrumentally. Um, I kind of like the whole component of it. Um, and you and I are storytellers. We both are very passionate about writing, which brings yeah. me to the second thing that I wanted to say, which is I think the reason that even though you don't feel like you're a big music person. Um, You love musicals and you love Disney music. And I think that that ties back to your storytelling nature because the difference between Pixar's use of music and Disney's use of music isn't just instrumental versus vocal. Um, Disney uses song to really make major plot points and plot movement and character change stand out. Um, because it's already a visual medium, right? And so it's not like a comic book or an art piece where you can pop something out to your audience um, and make it feel special or different or or make it really, really important. And so Disney uses as a way to move the story forward. Um, And since you are a storyteller, a lot of times when we talk about the music that you like, you talk about it in terms of, oh, this would be a good ship specific ship story or this would go this represents a specific character that I really enjoy and um we don't often talk about music that you like if it's not related to some sort of fandom or movie that's that has music or a musical that's true and so I think that that's that's how that hits you differently um but I think that's also what allows me to appreciate the music of Disney is because as a storyteller, I can find the value in it. And because I love music, I can appreciate the scores that they come up with as well. Yeah. See, I don't hate everything about Disney. <laughs> I, just, I just hate the company and everything that they stand for right now. Um, the, the last thing that really hits me about Disney um, or strikes me, I guess, would be the visual the visuals that they use like the the setting which because is very fantastical compared to Pixar as you said I'm really big into storytelling and one of my favorite things if it's not magical realism is fantasy I'm like super duper into fantasy and so these mystical forests with big castles hidden on the mountains or whatever. Like that's amazing. I just absolutely adore it. And especially 
I'm thinking of Beauty and the Beast right now. The visuals in that movie are so stunning. Like, they're gorgeous. And as a kid, like, obviously I didn't realize that, but I love the movie anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like, yeah, I, I really appreciate the detail that they put into the settings. Yeah, they they so they do these fantastical worlds that are not real. In fact, I think the closest to a real setting that they came to was one with Moana, um, but also with um, oh shoot, Lilo and Stitch is another one because Moana and Lilo and Stitch both take place in that same area of the world in the, the Hawaiian Islands, um, but. Oh, it was there. It was in my brain. Princess and the Frog. Um, because Hannah is in New Orleans. Um, and so they, they, when they do venture into real or real parallel places, they usually do bring it back to some fantastical thing. So like with Lilo and Stitch, the fantastical element was the alien. With Moana, it was um, the, the, the spirits and, and, the demigod aspect um, and, and kind of those demigod like trials. Um, and then obviously with princess and the frog, there was the magic and the kingdom. Um, and so it, it's something I appreciate about Disney, but I appreciate it from the standpoint of, I like to consume that kind of content, but I don't like to write it. When I ask you who you think of, when I say the word Disney, who do you think of? Uh, my first, my first thing that I think of with Disney, honest to goodness, is Winnie the Pooh, um, because Eeyore was a character that I attached to very young. Um, it's a character that I associate with my dad, and so like in my heart of hearts, when I think of Disney, I always think Winnie the Pooh because that is the Disney that I want to remember because that's the Disney that I was okay with. That's fair. Um- I don't actually, I didn't do as much research for uh, Disney as I did for Pixar. <laughs> but to be fair, Disney. There's not as much, is there? No, Disney shorts, I mean, like, there's a ton. They started making them in 1921. Um, they started making them in 1921, and, I mean, they're still sort of making them now. But, uh... Like, there's so many Disney shorts that I, sorry for my language, I shit you not, I have, like, never even heard of. Like, it's not even close to something that I would have been like, yeah, that's a Disney product, you know what I mean? So, like, the first one that I have on the list is Mickey Mouse. Because Mickey Mouse has been around since forever. Like, he started showing up in 1928 and they've made sure it's up to the year 2013 yeah um the most obvious one would be steamboat willie everybody remembers steamboat willie what if you don't because you don't know disney no steamboat willie is a mickey mouse short where he works on a steamboat which probably because that seems like a mickey mouse thing to do um, so Mickey Mouse has been like the biggest one that I named because obviously everybody knows who Mickey Mouse is. Like I say Mickey Mouse, you're like Disney, obviously. 
Um, Donald, Goofy, Pluto, Chip, and Dale, they all started showing up in about 1937. Uh, sometimes Donald and Goofy were in shorts with Mickey Mouse, but primarily they all had their own shorts that they were in as well. And mm -hmm. so the thing about Disney shorts is they're not shorts in the way that we refer to Pixar shorts. So, like, Disney shorts tend to be in a series. Um, yeah. Like, short shows. Short episodes of shows. Like, like, more what we would think about now um, as, like, skits, more or less. Yeah. Like, like yeah. YouTube skits or YouTube animations. Like, it was, it was more standard, like, a more standardized cartoon for that era. Exactly. Um, and so, you mentioned Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh didn't turn up until 1966. Um... But he lasted for a while, too. I mean, like, you think of Winnie the Pooh, and I imagine you're going to think of Disney. I didn't know for the longest time that Winnie the Pooh was affiliated with Disney. That's what but, I like about it. Um, not a lot of people, like, everyone knows it's Disney, but nobody thinks about it as a Disney product. Because, I mean, Winnie the Pooh has almost come become its own brand. Um, because it's so widely loved and respected, and because of the backstory to it, um, it's it kind of it's kind of its own entity. I think the the legacy that it has, and and, and Mickey Mouse is the same way. But I think Winnie the Pooh is different because it's more wholesome um, in the sense that it deals with real issues that still are relevant today. Right. Um. I agree. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't re we I didn't realize that Winnie the Pooh was a Disney thing until I played Kingdom Hearts. So there's that. That's in the world now. Um, <clears throat> moving on, there are a few other Disney quote unquote shorts that I have. Um, that you've mentioned. Yeah, mentioned. Yeah, you've listed. And I, I, I am going to admit one of my favorite shorts that I that's on uh, on this list, I didn't know was Disney. And I kind of hate myself a little bit because if I had to list um, my top three favorite shorts, one of these would be on here. As I'm curious about which one it is. Uh, I I don't think you'll be surprised when I tell you. Uh, I'm going to look over after this section um yeah uh I, all three of my favorites are on here uh, on both these lists and i'll tell you what ones they are when we're done um so obviously there's tangled ever after that's one of disney's that's a short that is connected to tangled right? mm -hmm. Um, and then there's two, actually two Frozen shorts. There is Frozen Fever and Olaf's Frozen Adventure. I am curious which one of these everybody hated because I've never seen either. Um, I do believe that it was uh, Olaf's Frozen Adventure, but it, it could have been Frozen Fever because I don't remember when Frozen came out. It, which, it was whichever one came out between one and two. Um because I, I feel like one of them came, I mean, they, I think they both came out between one and two. Maybe I'm an idiot. Um, but I know that one of these, and you probably are going to Google it just to make sure that I don't sound stupid -er than I already sound. Um, but the, I remember when I was researching, the issue was is um, one of these is not canonical. Like it contradicts the canon established in Frozen, the first film. Um, and they ended up having to pull it and replace it. 
um, in theaters as it is for the film. It is Olaf's Frozen Adventure. That is a 21-minute short, quote-unquote, that plays before Coco. Yeah. Just to clarify. Okay. Um, yeah, what I was reading is it brought in a lot of questions. Um, one, to characterization, but just to the canonosity. It was not canon. Yeah. Is how I'm going to say that sentence before I mess it up anymore. <laughs> Um, so the last one that I have on Disney's list is Paperman. It came out in 2012. I don't think you've ever seen it, but right. Or have you? I, I, I told you, I'm going to talk to you about my favorites at the end. Um, have you seen it? I do believe I've seen everything, all of the shorts, uh, except the two frozen ones. And okay. Um, Luxo Jr. and Tin Toy. I think I've seen everything what? else. What? Okay. Um, so Paperman is a short. I personally thought that it was a Pixar short, so I was surprised to find out that it was actually a Disney short. Um, Paperman is. Let me make sure. I, I will tell you, I've seen Paperman. I do know what it is. Oh, yeah, okay. So, Paperman is this really cute seven-minute-long short about this man and this woman and a little paper airplane that brings them together. And I'm not going to say anything else about it, but it is one of my all-time favorite shorts in regards to uh, character development, I guess, in such a short period of time because it's really, yeah. like, really weird, but it's so cute. Um, so this was on before Wreck-It Ralph, which is something that I did see in theaters, um, with my family, uh, and, yeah, so I'm, I'll leave it at that, um, but yes, I agree with you, it was a very well done story, and I, I would have to do more research into it, but for some reason in my head, I'm thinking that it was a story that, was like prompted or introduced or pitched by like an intern or maybe it was all interns that animated it or something. There was something really special about it. Um, yeah. Other than it was just phenomenal by itself. I think there was some other special quality to it. And maybe if anyone's listening to our podcast, they can let us know what, what that special thing was, but I'm not going to go that far because we're really not going to explore the Pixar shorts after this we're more just again establishing those boundaries between the two companies and kind of talking about the things that we like and dislike about each one yeah um and so I have 10 Pixar shorts listed I'm gonna name through them all of these are ones that I have either seen or that I know people enjoy people yeah, like kind of like the big ones I will say like 100% Jerry's game and for the birds are four real things that the school where we worked, the the fifth and sixth grade teachers use those shorts as a lesson. Like they they watch those shorts like fifteen times in one week, and they write mini essays on them. I love that. That is amazing. Um, I don't know if you can hear the smile in my voice, but that makes me so happy. Um, so. I have Luxo Jr., which came out in 90, or 86, sorry. There's Tin Toy, Knick Knack, Jerry's Game, For the Birds, The Blue Umbrella, Lava, Lou, Kit Bull, and Float. 
I actually watched Kit Bull again today because I wanted to have a good cry, and I bawled my eyes out for probably about ten minutes. Um, I don't no, I can't cry with a personalized Christmas gift. I don't, I mean, I don't cry a lot. Like, you can attest to that. I really do not cry a lot. I don't think in I am. Of other people. In general. But, um, yeah. I, Thank you, Bruce. You keep revealing how long this is taking. <laughs> it's three hours now. Well, we're at two and a half. But the thing is, is we started shortly, but like, we officially started recording shortly before 12. And so Bruce is making it seem like it's been three hours, but we're not there yet. Um, yeah, people is I'm, ugh, ugh. all of these are just wonderful shorts. I will say, Kitbull and Float. I added specifically. Um, there was another one that I had on the list that I decided to take off so that I could list both of these because they affect me so much. They make me so emotional, mm-hmm. which is insane, right? Like it's crazy. That's bananas. Like, but um. Kitbull is about a kitten who goes into a yard. I know you said we're not going to talk about him. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Because, like I said, when I talk about the my three favorites, when I think of shorts, um, I'm going to explain why. So feel free to, like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to cut this down because I feel like everything we've talked about is important. I might go through and cut out some of our sidebars. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I it, this may end up being an unedited podcast that we just post. Drop. Um, yeah. I when we brainstormed our ideas, I do want it to be clear. Like we originally were like, oh yeah, these are going to be like forty five minutes to an hour, um, because I don't know that we're going to be able to talk about all of this for a long time. Um, but I think that's a testament to the fact that we're both intelligent women who are very invested in our fandoms. Um, but it also, I think, shows that we're very knowledgeable about, like, this specific craft. Because um, we're both artists, we're both writers, we're both fangirls. Um, and so I think we have a lot to offer on these topics. Uh, and I can't wait to get into later topics for this. I can't wait until we get to some of the other seasons, like, just to tease ideas. We've got, like, a Harry Potter season, We've got a whole season concept specifically for fan fiction by itself because it's a huge part of being in the fandom uh, that people don't talk about enough. There's so much to fan fiction that like people need to know and need to understand. Um, I think we need to have one whole episode and you can cut this out. Okay. But one whole episode where we just read off a list of tags. Oh my goodness. I, uh, as you remember, I did some pretty extensive research into on the two most popular platforms for fan fiction. Further than that, because sometimes when I get into a thing and I'm like, I'm going to research, it gets a little unhealthy. Uh, and so I limited myself to the two most popular platforms uh, and I made a whole list of tags um, because unfortunately uh, lots of people are focused on stats and like even sometimes I fall into this this bad habit of like I'm not popular enough I'm not getting enough views I'm not getting enough reads but the reality is is everybody gets their stats in different ways and so just because someone's really popular for like one or two years right now doesn't mean that it's gonna last forever um, and so something I always have to remind myself of is my fan fiction 
there's stuff that I wrote that's garbage. I hate myself for writing it. I can't believe that I shared it online in like 2011 that people are like still leaving comments on. They're like, oh my gosh, can we write more? And I'm like, why? <laughs> why do you want more of this hot garbage? Um, but that, that's a really awesome thing about fan fiction. Um, and I, and I do think that when we talk about it, we do need to talk about tags because we need to, we like need to talk about the importance of the tags. I think we'll go into trigger warnings um, and disclaimers and kind of all those like really technical, like social media aspects of fan fiction that nobody really talks about because no one wants to, to address the fact that sometimes fan fiction is a popularity contest. Um, yeah. And, but that like, like, again, just kind of teasing topics that we'll go over. We've, we have like a sci-fi season we want to do um there's there's we have a lot planned like definitely something that if this is a podcast that we enjoy and people start listening to and it kind of picks up steam i could see us doing all of the seasons that we have and more um and with us wanting to do an every other week kind of thing it's more of like an every 15 days um but doing this twice a month with one other podcast i mean we could easily keep doing this for a couple of years um and so there's a lot of stuff that we want to share and talk about uh, with other people who, again, are intelligent and like to have information and really care about the concept of fan fandom and fangirling and fanboys. Like it's it's a really cool part of life and more people need to embrace it. Yes. Um, so let's Kit come back Bull. to these shorts really quick. Um, yeah. you're talking about Kit Bull um, and how that was important and float how that was important to you. Um, Kipple is important because it features a relationship between a stray cat and a dog who is owned by a very awful person who, I mean, it's a pit bull. I mean, can you tell? Um, yeah. But this dog is owned by um, a man, presumably, who uses him for dog fights. And when he loses... He kicks this, he literally kicks this dog's limp body out of the house or wherever, and he chains him up and leaves him out there when he's injured, and it's so sad. But um, so you know it's a Pixar short because it's intense, and it deals with something heart, heartbreaking. Oh, man. Um, and so this, this cat literally helps this dog escape from this yard and they're adopted by this lady and her boyfriend or husband and it's just so sweet it's so okay. i'm not a, i'm i know that it's my job to deal with people who them feel better but i'm me as your friend right now cannot do that and i just really <laughs> i love you i can't hug you or like tap you awkwardly so like if you could just get your together that'd be great <laughs> I'm fine. Um, <laughs> the next one is Float. Um, so Float is another one that arguably could deal with anything. Um, the way that my family takes it is that it deals with autism and how the stigma around autism makes it so that it makes people, parents specifically, feel like they have to hide a part of their child because other people won't understand. And mm -hmm. so this child in this film literally floats in the air. And his dad 
struggles with that because he doesn't want other people to look at him and be like, what is he doing? And there's no words, I don't think. There's actually no, there's one line. And it's the dad saying, what's wrong with you? And like, it's another one that just hits really hard, right? Because at the end of the short, the dad is like, you know what? I love you and I want you to have fun and to do what makes you happy. And it's just... I always get really emotional in regards to like autism and awareness and that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. it's just one of those things that it paints autism for what it is, which is it's a uniqueness that people don't typically get to see. Like there, there's nothing wrong with them. They just think differently than we do. And, um, I, I, so uh, we've we've both had a handful of jobs and we've like uh, we both have had a very interesting array of experiences I think um, so like I've worked in a law firm you've worked in fast food I worked in a movie theater we both worked in retail you've worked in factories we've both worked in a school I've done childcare summer camp my new job now is in mental health I did um, summer camp yeah you did summer camp as well I, I don't know why I forgot that because I like miss you terribly for like eight weeks and it was miserable. Um, but uh, so we've, we've experienced life and people of all different ages from all different like working backgrounds, financial backgrounds. Um, and something that we both have in common a lot is we've dealt with kids in, in, in a good variety of capacities um, in different ways. And um, we're both pretty passionate about children with special needs and children with mental health and emotional health issues. Um, and so that is, I think inevitably that's something that we're going to talk about a lot, no matter what we're doing. Um, and no matter what topic we come up, we've already talked about like this concept of characters that present as being on the spectrum, but because autism awareness is even still not nearly as widespread and informed as it should be. Um, that's going to be something that comes up a lot because there are a lot of characters that you and I both could think of from fandoms that we care about deeply that there are characters that could be on, on the, the spectrum easily. Um, but because nobody knew that that was the word for it or nobody wanted to put that word to it, that um, it doesn't get acknowledged and it really sucks because there's yeah. not, there's not enough accurate representation of it. But again, that'll be a topic that comes up a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if when we start talking about future seasons and ideas for episodes and seasons that this is going to be something that comes up. Uh, We may dedicate, I wouldn't be surprised a whole season, just to mental health of characters. Yeah. I would be into that. Um, Cause that, that would be really fun to explore. Uh, Which, um, I think kind of brings me to my favorites. Um, so I, I, my three favorites, um, Jerry's game, which is, uh, so, uh, it's, it's a chess game, um, which as you know, um, and now other people are going to know, um, chess is a huge part of my life. Um, not because I love playing it because I don't. Um, but, uh, I don't talk about my daddy a lot and I will talk about him a lot periodically now um, because he passed away and I didn't have a super close relationship with him, but I, that didn't 
it just it didn't diminish how much I loved and care about him. Um, and so uh, his passing has made me really realize how much he impacted my life, even though we were not close and we did not spend a lot of time together and we didn't talk much. Um, we were very similar in a lot of ways. Like I'm not a super affectionate person. And even though I'm talkative, I don't usually talk a lot about intimate things unless I like care about someone a lot. Um, and my dad was uh, someone that I looked up to, but didn't look up to. Uh, it's hard to put words in to my brain and mouth to explain. Um, but he loved chess. I was very bad at chess because I was wiggly and bouncy and I liked to move around and be outside. And so sitting down to play chess with a barely sober parent was not my thing. Um, but uh, because he liked chess when I met my husband, David now, and he enjoyed chess. And then eventually my son enjoyed chess. Um, my son was invited to the chess team very young. Um, he was six years old when he was invited to, be, to play competitively on his chess team. And he's 12 now, and he is still thinking that he wants to continue playing semi-competitively throughout the years. Um, and so it's become a huge part of my life. Uh, and so I remember seeing this short when it first came out uh, because I was six um, and it's always stuck with me. Like even today, like I said, the Jerry's game and for the birds are were used at the school when I was working there with uh, special education kids. And um, it just becomes more and more powerful to me because one chess is a it has become a huge part of my life and my family story um but also like i have a deep appreciation for older people um and with the main character being an older person playing by themselves and like there's so much to it that's carefree and fun but it also like it can be very deep too like um because it really represents like that being alone that, that 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 being alone being different um but making the most of it because at some point in our lives we're gonna feel alone we're gonna feel like we don't fit in somewhere um and a lot of that comes at, unfortunately late in life when the people you know are passing away um and the family members that are close to you don't spend as much time with you like um my life experience has made me really appreciate that character um, and then there's, there's not as much like with the blue umbrella. It's just one of those stories that, um, is super cute, but also emotional in a way, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know. I, I always bring, I always bring stuff like back to mental health and emotional health and like the relationships between people. Um, but that's one that it's really cute. It does have a depth to it that is a lot. Um, but it's just super sweet. Like, I don't know. I'm doing bad with words. I really enjoy it. Um, Basically, it's just this little umbrella. It's similar to the other, like, the general concept of it. 
reminds me of my other favorite off this list, uh, which is actually the Disney one, which was Paper Man. Um, I did not know it was Disney. Um, and I like right now on this podcast is when I learned that it was a Disney short. Um, because I never, I mean, Disney does a good job fooling you with this one. Um, even right now, like when I, cause I was looking it up to be like, is that really what I think it is? Like, is that really Disney? Um, even on YouTube, people list it as a Disney Pixar short and it's not, um, even though I'm going to roll back up here to the list of films that belong to each company. But where's that list? Can you tell it's two in the morning? <laughs> I know it's here because I typed it. Uh, yeah, because Wreck-It Ralph is a Disney, is a Walt Disney animation original. And that's what it appeared in front of. So um, that, again, very similarly, like, it's very moving and light. And there's a lot that you could really dig into it as far as, like, serious, like, mental, emotional, social um, concepts. Um, but what I really enjoyed about Paper Man and the, the Blue Umbrella is, like, the human the human connection, I think, is, is where I'm going at that is. There's a very human aspect to these non-human objects. And that is important to me as a person because I place a lot of personal and emotional value in my own. Like all of my electronics have a name. I take a lot of care of the electronics that I have. And in my brain, if I treat those things well and treat them as quote unquote equals, those things are going to last a long time for me. Uh, like, we have a working original Wii. Like, we could plug it in and turn it on and play it because it's in good condition. Um, and so that's what I really appreciate about particular. They don't have the deep and, and huge meaning like like Jerry's game. But um, the, the, the human brain, the human experience is something that I'm very fascinated by. And I felt like when I watched shorts, those two were the ones that really, if I closed my eyes, I could play those shorts in my head, even yeah. though I've only seen them a handful of times. Right. I see that you're touching your nose, which is a thing that I do. I call them nose thoughts. Um, yeah. And at first I thought you were like just rubbing your nose and like touching your face. Cause you're like, Oh my God, shut up. But uh, I can see now that you're holding your nose as a nose thought. So please share your nose thought. Um, I was just going to say, uh, a lot of these shorts, I only remember because I remember that they were before certain movies. Oh, I'm, like, the opposite. So, like, I I remember Knickknack was before Finding Nemo. Jerry's Game was before A Bug's Life. For the Birds was before Monsters, Inc. And I remember all of this because we owned all of these movies except for Finding Nemo, that was on DVD. We owned, like, all of these movies that um, were on VHS, and I just remember explicitly um, that these shorts always played before it. Um, so, like, Luxo Jr., 
I think was before one of the Toy Story movies, and I know Tin Toy was before at least one of the Toy Story movies. Um, I don't remember a lot of the other ones. That and that would be why I don't know those two because I never. I, I'm gonna say so many things that are gonna make people hate me. I didn't like Toy Story. I was not into it. I don't remember being into it. I'm sure that my grandparents and my mom can tell you differently, but I don't remember being into Toy Story. I, like, can I be honest? I used to have nightmares about it because I was not very nice to my toys. So did David. David said that he was like after Indian in the Cupboard and Toy Story came out because they came, I think they came out relatively like within the same couple of years. Um, he he's like I'm so terrified. He's like that's why I take such good care of my toys because I had like trauma because anytime I hurt my toys I went into this like mental state of panic because he thought that he was damaging a human thing. That's yeah. I mean, you probably I wouldn't want to declare that, but oh well, it's out there now. I wasn't bad to my toys, you know. Like, I'm sorry that my phone keeps dinging. Um, well, then mute it. I I've muted it <laughs> three times now. I'm muting it right now. Oh, it's already muted. Do you have it open in a different browser or a different tab? What's happening? Yeah, I was muting it on my phone, but now I've muted it on the computer. Okay, anyways, um, yeah, it's just crazy to me how <laughs> the different experiences that certain things can bring. Like, I remember when I was younger, my favorite short was Knickknack. Because it was about this little snowman in a snow globe that just wanted to get down to this pretty mermaid. And it was just so funny. It was so funny to me. I, I, I want to speak really quick to, uh, again, just that major difference. And I think this will be a good way to, like, wrap it up. Um, is the, sh I, the shorts are kind of like, you know how when you write a story or, or an essay and you have a conclusion, like, sentence... Um, even though shorts come at the beginning of the movies um, and at the end of this particular conversation, I think that's important because um, with Disney, you can see, like, honestly, the, like, the seriousness of the content really kind of diminishes. Like, you've got Mickey Mouse and Winnie the Pooh, which definitely both of them in their very early days either mocked specific like things or political figures or celebrities or concepts but Which, also with serious issues but then you look at Olaf's frozen adventure down here and you know that's comical because that's the only purpose <laughs> Olaf serves I would like to say there are a lot of educational videos and safety videos that are available through Disney as shorts however I have never seen any of them like uh, at all. So that's why don't sound entertaining. So that's that's why it's it like it didn't they didn't even like there was wartime propaganda shorts that were made. There was fire safety with Donald Duck. I like there's so many that were available that were for but, such like a niche crowd. 
I love that you said a specific character, though, because Donald Duck is at the top of that Disney list, and that yes, is yes. older. Um, and like I said, you lose some of that, like, Seriously. Uh, social activism, I would even say, um, yes. in the content. Um, whereas we actually have the exact opposite happening with Pixar. With Pixar, um, exactly. It, it gets more socially aware and more serious and more impactful, like, I would say um, nothing for Lou is coming seen it uh, because every once in a while I'll be like, you know what? I know I don't go to the movies. Let's just sit and watch a collection of all the Pixar shorts and kind of watch and make sure that I keep them in my brain and keep up with the times because I'm an old fart, I guess. Louie's about this little monster that lives in the lost and found at a playground or something. Yes. Hey, why, uh, can we, um, where's, what about the spider? Which spider? You know the little spider. I I uh, I'm always convinced that this spider is a Pixar short, but David swears to me that he's not. But I swear I saw him in front of a Pixar movie. Uh, it's okay. I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. As long as my YouTube doesn't try to play. Uh, Pixar short spider. Lucas the spider. Yeah, I see that. Um, he's he, I, apparently he is not a short. No. I have I have such a visceral memory of seeing Lucas the Spider in a movie theater, and I don't know why. Uh, I I, I gotta get off of that. I don't like the spiders. Oh, but Lucas is so cute. Oh, I love Lucas. Um, I did also scroll down, though, to look for more stuff. And then I found something called Cliffside by Liam Vickers Animation. And uh, the picture is terrifying. I don't know why I'm still looking at it. Uh, I don't know. What's it called? Cliffside. Cliffside cartoon series pilot Liam Vickers Animation. Oh, right. There's a lot happening there, and it's Oof. it's giving me the creepy crawlies. <laughs> um, fan. So I'm gonna stick, uh, because it makes me want to die. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. So, um, I like this really speaks to what matters to these companies, right? Um. We definitely did really good, I think, about hitting all the major points about these two companies and making sure that we've identified how different they are um, and the different values and the different productions and all the things that really matter about them. Um, but as we go, um, one, of the, one of the differences, for example, uh, when I was doing some like differences between Pixar and um disney uh one of the videos i watched was by screen rant titled 25 things pixar does that disney would never do um and it it talks about that disney basically is is in it for the quantity where pixar is in it for the quality um and so they balance each other out but the Disney's a money machine right now. And they're the the more they focus on that big production and those big dollars, 
the more we're going to see Disney lose that flair. Um, and that's, I think, ultimately how we're going to finish this series is talking about not bad-mouthing Disney, but talking about what good they've done and how they can change to keep doing good. Um, because at the end of the day, in the entertainment business, there's going to be monopolies. There are laws against monopolies and oligarchies, um, but you see it with the internet, you see it with phone providers, you're seeing it with big box stores. Um, there's no way around it. Like Our government is kind of in a place where it's broken, and so these monopolies and oligarchies are able to succeed without restriction. And I hate it. It bothers me on a very fundamental level. Um, but the reality is, is we're not going to avoid it. And so if we can't avoid it, we need to pressure these companies to become what we as consumers deserve, which is a company that represents real life, that gives, that instills us with hope, is also representative and informational, while still being entertaining. And that is possible. Pixar is proving that time and time again with the productions that they're releasing. Um, and Disney needs to catch up. And so as we continue to explore this whole culture of Disney, because that's what it is, um, you and I are really going to delve deeper into this. And I know I led a lot of the conversation today, but you are going to be a huge driving force behind this because you are in that culture. And so yeah. you know very personally a lot of these topics that we're going to be probably need up to with. have like a good vibe. <laughs> Ta-ta for now.